Good morning, Hopewell Missionary Baptist Church, friends, relatives, extended family. What a blessing it is to come before you this morning to teach the Word of God and to have the Word of God teach to me and to you. We want to hear from the Lord. We have enough newspapers, we have enough cable, we have enough internet, we have enough philosophy and philosophizing, pontification by those who know and those who don't. We need a word from the Lord. And there is a rich word, actually an encouraging word found today in the book of Jeremiah, chapter number 38. That's where we're going to be. That's where we're going to go fly a plane into that city of the Bible, that place, and see what God says to us. I want you to get ready now. I want you to turn your mind off of the cares of the world. Turn your mind off of the food cooking on the stove. Don't worry about the ham hocks and the lima beans. And just concentrate on what God is saying. It will do you good. It will bless your heart like medicine. Let's pray now. Let's ask God to bless our Bible study, our Sunday school study together as we go forth. Spirit of the living God, fall fresh on us. Anoint us now, God. Consecrate us now as we offer ourselves for consecration as we hear and study your word. We know your word does the heart good like medicine. We know you're the antidote for everything that's going wrong. We bless your name this morning, Father. We bless your name this morning, Father, because you are our God. Father, we pause before we get into our own personal issues and situations and pray for the peace of Jerusalem and the peace of Israel. It's interesting, Father, that our Bible study today is about Jerusalem with all that's going on now between the Israelis and the Palestinians, we pray, God, you told us in your word, you admonished us, you asked us to pray for the peace of Jerusalem and the peace of Israel. Oh, God, like Paul, our prayer for Israel is that they might be saved. Know Jesus Christ as the Messiah who's already come is returning again as king. Now, Father, we pray that you bless our pastor, God, we ask you to bless Bishop Windmill Shields as he celebrates his 41st anniversary. I said as he celebrates his 41st anniversary, his 41st anniversary. Bless him, God, for his consistent labor for us in the vineyard that you planted him in, in Norcross, Georgia. And for this, we say thank you. We thank you, Father God, for his teaching. We thank you for his preaching. We thank you for his leadership. We thank you for his praying. We thank you for his fasting for us. Thank you, God, for his leadership. We celebrate him today. Now, Father, we pray for those who are on the phone this morning who thought it not robbery to get up early enough to hear your word and to study your word and to hear what you're saying to them that's going to propel them through the week. This is going to be a successful week. We pray, Father, for each and every one of them on the phone, those connected and those they're going to call when the class is over to say, I learned something I need to share. Jesus is alive. Jesus is your blessed hope. Thank you, Father, for blessing us. Thank you for keeping us. God, bless the teacher. Oh, God, deliver him. Bless the teacher, God, that he might teach what you have told him to teach and nothing else. Thank you, Father, for your grace, your mercy, your peace, for your anointing that is so rich even in our lives. Now, God, as we study your word, let it penetrate our spirits that we might live better, know you better, and bless you more. We thank you. We praise you 
It is in Jesus' precious name that we pray. Thank God. Amen. Good morning once again. Remember, if you happen to miss our lessons, they are taped. Sister Annette Reynolds will send out an email if the teacher can always remember to send her the, <laughs> the recording. And it'll be on the recording. You can go back and listen and take notes. If you have questions about the lesson as we go through, feel free to email me, text me, call me, and we'll have a discussion. We're so blessed to be able to study the Word, and I want to dive right in. Uh, we're in the book of Jeremiah. The subject, according to the commentary, is preaching doom, preaching doom. But I want to tell you that despite uh, the, 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 the tone of the subject, it's not all gloom and doom. As a matter of fact, this is the one of the most encouraging words you're going to hear uh, as you go through. Uh, Jeremiah, as you know, was a great, great, great prophet. He had a pre-embryonic call that God said, before I knew you in your mother's womb, before, I, before you were even thought about, I formed you, I called you as a prophet unto the nations. This pre-embryonic call that Jeremiah had was not something he wanted to do. Jeremiah was reluctant. And there's a lot because to get to because we're in chapter 38, which means there are 37 chapters and, and 13 verses before we get here. So I've got to give you at least a quick synopsis, if you don't mind, and then we'll, we'll go forward. Uh, God, I want to say this to you. God is always true to his word. I want to say this to you too. With obedience comes blessings. With obedience comes blessing. With disobedience comes curses. Not because God is mean and ugly and trying to hurt anybody, but it's just just and right. God is always true to his word. By way of background, quickly, let me tell you that Jeremiah uh, uh, was a young priest out of a little city called Anathoth of the tribe of Benjamin. The Lord called him as a messenger to Judah in the 13th year of the reign of King Josiah in about 627 BC. Now listen, I know you like Netflix. I love Netflix. But there are some stories in the Bible. If you were to take a minute and curl up and just read them and let them leap off the page with you, that is better than any movie Netflix can ever make. I'm telling you, and this one is just Jeremiah thing. It is fantastic. Fantastical, as you read it. So uh, uh, he, he, Jeremiah, is often called the prophet of doom because God declared that his ministry was to do a couple of things. This was his assignment. <clears throat> God's ministry, Jeremiah's ministry was to root out and to pull down and to destroy and to throw down, to build and to plant. <clears throat> That's what we find in Jeremiah 1.10. Jeremiah is also called the weeping prophet because he was extremely depressed at times because the people refused to hear the message of God. As a result, because the people were obstinate and stiff-necked and wouldn't hear, Jeremiah tried to keep the message inside. He tried to hold back from, from, from prophesying God's message. But how many of you know when God is telling you to do something, when God has called you to something, you can try all you want to resist, but you may as well come out with your hands up 
because you're going to do what God says. And Jeremiah said, when I tried to do it, when I tried to sit on the word, he said, it was just like fire shut up in my bones. It was, it was pre, it was, it was, it was spontaneously combusting in my spirit. I couldn't help myself. I didn't want to preach. I, I didn't want to do what God said, but I had no choice because it was as if I had on the inside of me embers burning spiritually. I had to tell it. Oh, those of us who've been called to the ministry know what that's like. We don't ever want to. It's not something we necessarily voluntarily go into. You are pulled into it because God needs you on the battlefield. Oh, my God. He said, it's like fire shut up in my bones. He didn't have any choice but to complain, to proclaim God's message of judgment. A good, a good portion of, of, of Jeremiah's message now would include predicting the fall of Judah and, and the capital city, Jerusalem at the hands of the Babylonians. Oh my God. This week's lesson most likely occurred during the final months before the fall of Jerusalem in 586 BC. That's a historic fact. You don't have to have to, have to argue with people about the, whether the Bible is true or not true. It's a historic fact that Jerusalem fell and was burned, burned in 586 BC. You can find that in the Bible. You can find that in the Quran. You can find that in, 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 in the, the annals of, of history written by the Babylonians. It's a fact. The first time uh, uh, that, that, that Jeremiah prophesied about this, <clears throat> he got punished. Actually, he was punished twice for this message of doom regarding Jerusalem. They said to him, how dare you say something bad is going to happen at the Capitol if we don't straighten up? <laughs> Does that sound familiar? Jeremiah, how dare you say that if we don't start treating people right and doing what God says, something's going to happen at the capital in Jerusalem. And, and because of that, he got punished twice. The first time, he was falsely accused of being a traitor. They said, you're not a patriot. Oh, boy, that sounds familiar. They, they, they said, you are siding with the Babylonians. And because of that, they beat him and then stuck him in prison for a long time in the house of Jonathan, the scribe, which they had turned into a prison. After an unknown time, King Zedekiah had Jeremiah taken out of prison and then brought him to his house, where the king asked him if there was a word from the Lord. Watch this now. Jeremiah says, yeah. There's a word from the Lord, and here it is. Want to hear it? Wrote a song about it. Want to hear it? Here we go. He says, For thou shalt be delivered into the hand of the king of Babylonia. Babylon. <clears throat> then Jeremiah pleaded with the king not to return him to prison in Jonathan's house because he said, If you do, I'm liable to die there. Zedekiah listened to the prophet's plea and put him under guard in the courtyard in order that Jeremiah only be given bread from the street bakers. Feed him from the food trucks only. Don't let him have good food. I'm going to, this is a punishment. He's confined in a space like Paul, like Peter. <clears throat> they all have this prison experience because, because <clears throat> they, they are being falsely accused. Uh, Zedekiah put him there just like what happened with Joseph, just like what happened with Daniel, just like what happened with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, just like what happened with Jesus. Falsely accused, imprisoned, treated badly for the only crime is saying what God said say. Now, 
he 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 did they did give him some bread like like what happened to Elijah. Uh, but at some point there was no more bread left in the city because the city was at that point besieged by the Babylonians. They had a siege. <clears throat> nobody could go in, nobody could go out, so so resources were scarce. So Jeremiah stayed guard in the courtyard, but not long after this, watch this, y'all. This is this is oh man, you gotta read this and you gotta see this movie. The princess of Jerusalem heard Jeremiah's prophecy about the fall of Jerusalem. These princes, these people in high places, these cabinet level people, they heard that Jeremiah prophesied what God said. And they petitioned the king to put Jeremiah to death. The king didn't do that, but the king turned Jeremiah over uh, to them and they lowered him down in the muddy dungeon in the prison courtyard without any water. Now, I'm telling you what this muddy dungeon is like. They lower you down into a place where the wastewater and runoff water and storm water and rainwater and wastewater has filled up a pit. They lower you down because then the pit gets muddy and sticky and Jeremiah is lowered down up to his neck in the mud. It sounds a lot like Joseph. And you know, Jesus talks about going down into the pit. So this is all connected. When they had him down in the pit, up to his neck in mud, couldn't hardly move, could barely get his mouth out to eat. Watch what happens. Then Ebed-Melech, the Ethiopian, and I want you to check your Bibles as soon as we finish, excuse me, check your, your Google as soon as Bible study is over and see where Ethiopia is located. I believe you're going to find it's in Africa. So uh, Ebed-Melech, the, the Ethiopian, the African, one of the king's units heard that Jeremiah had been put in the dungeon <clears throat> by special order of the king, but Ebed-Melech and others pulled him up out of the dungeon and confined him only to the court of the prison. Oh God. And, and here, look, this, this is free. I'm not going to charge you for this. Look at this black history moment. Uh, a, 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 a black unit, uh, 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 just like Simon the Cyrene to help Jesus carry the cross up the hill, who was from Cyrene, which is also in Africa. Here is here is this Ebed Melech, the Ethiopian, who who intercedes on behalf of Jeremiah and, and and pulls him up out of the pit by lowering down a bunch of rags and dirty rags and and, and all kind of debris and tell tell Jeremiah hook it up under your arms and he lifted him up, man, like Inspector Gadget out of that pit. Oh God, I want to tell you something. God always has somebody who will come to get you when you think you're in a pit. May I be this morning, before we go any further, your Ebed Melech and say to you who are in a pit, it may be a pit of despair, de depression, financial issues. You may have sick issues. You may have issues where you feel lonely and alone. You may have issues where you, you feel like you've been abandoned, that your money is flooding, your change is strange. May I be your Ebed Melech this morning. We do nothing else and let you know God is sending somebody. He sent me to pull you up out of the pit by the word of God and to let you know God is not left you. God has not abandoned you. God is going to bless you. God is going to heal you. God is going to give you everything your heart desires. Come up out of that pit. Oh my God. I'm just wanting to be your, your Ebed Melech this morning, if nothing else, to let you know God has not forgotten about you. He sees you right where you are. Get back to the lesson where, okay, I will. I apologize. So here we come. Jeremiah 38 and starting at verse 14. Uh, let me read that to you. I'm going to read 14 through 16 and then come back and unpack. Uh, uh, and I'm, I'm going to tell you about this 
private meeting that Jeremiah has after he gets pulled out of the pit that he has with King Zedekiah. <clears throat> then Zedekiah, the king, sent and took Jeremiah the prophet unto him into the third entry, that is, in the house of the Lord. And the king said unto Jeremiah, I will ask you a thing. Hide nothing from me. Then Jeremiah said unto Zedekiah, If I declare it unto thee, wilt thou not surely put me to death? And if I give thee counsel, wilt thou not hearken unto me? So Zedekiah the king swear secretly unto Jeremiah, saying, As the Lord liveth that made us this soul, I will not put thee to death, neither will I give thee unto the hand of these men that seek their life. Can y'all see this picture? This newly released prisoner, this newly released uh, a boy just got out of jail, just got out of a stinking, dirty, miry pit. He gets called by the king to come see him because, listen, no matter how they treat you, they know you're God's child. <laughs> no matter how they lie on you, they know you're God's child. As a matter of fact, the reason they treat you like they do is because they know you're called by God. Oh, yeah. You know how God says he'll hide you in the secret place of the Most High? Watch this secret. They, 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 they removed him from the dungeon, put him in the core of the prison, and, and the king sent for him privately. The prophet was brought to the king. Did you notice that? Through the third entry, it was a little secret hidden door, probably the one that the king used for, in, for, for egress and ingress into the temple. This is the only place in scripture that the third entry is mentioned, but it seems it was for the king's private access to the, to the, to the temple. Now watch this. The king's got all of these smart people around him. He's got people with PhDs and, 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 and MAs and BAs and ESPN and ABC and CBS, all these lettered people, but he consults the prophet. Why? Because all wisdom comes from God. You can't be smart enough to know more than God knows. So he says, I want to ask you something, boy. Tell me what God has to say. This preacher, this recently released convicted man comes in. This whole encounter, it's like a movie, I tell you, speaks of secrecy. They're probably speaking in hushed tones. Uh, once Jeremiah was in the king's presence, Zedekiah said, I'm going to tell you why I'm calling you. I'm, I'm calling you here. I want to ask you something. It appears when he says, I will ask thee a thing, that should be translated as uh, uh, a, a word. Since the king would only be asking Jeremiah for a word of counsel and hopefully a word of comfort from the Lord. Remember, he's the king, but his city is besieged by the Babylonians. They are in there at war, but the Babylonians, Babylonians are starving them out. It, it, is, it is much like the same sort of uh, warlike uh, proposition that God put forth when they were going at Jericho, where you surround the city, nobody's going in, nobody's coming out, and you basically starve the inhabitants to death, then you attack. So the king's in a bad way. And whatever these other knuckleheads are telling him to do, it's not working because the Babylonians aren't going anywhere. So the king says, I got to find somebody who can tell me what's going to happen about this. So he says, Jeremiah, tell me something, boy. He said, listen, hide nothing from me. In essence, the king was commanding Jeremiah not to hide or keep anything back from him, including the truth, watch this, 
whether good or bad. Whether good or bad. Remember what happened when Ahab, a couple of weeks ago, uh, wanted to consult Micaiah? And Micaiah said, do you really want to know what I got to say? Because if you do, I'll tell it to you, but it might not be what you like. So this king, Zedekiah, says, tell me the truth, whether it's good or bad. Now watch this. Uh, <clears throat> earlier on another occasion, Jeremiah already told him that there was a word from the Lord. And it was that Zedekiah would be delivered into the hand of the king of Babylon. And for that, Jeremiah was put in prison up to his neck in mud. It seems that by asking Jeremiah this question again, the king was hoping to get a more pleasing answer or hoping that God had changed his mind, although the king hadn't changed his conduct. Now watch this. <clears throat> Excuse me. They have this negotiation and uh, they're sitting here, just, just the two of them, uh, as the prophet Bill Withers used to say, just the two of us. They're sitting there and and, 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 and and he pulls him in close and he's talking to him. And Jeremiah says, all right, I'm going to give it to you straight. You want it straight? I'm going to give it to you straight. Here it goes. He says, verse 15, if I declared unto you, though, I need, to know, I need something to know. I have some conditions preceding. If I declared unto you, are you going to kill me? And if I tell you what to do, are you going to do what I say? In other words, I, 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 I don't mind ordering you, you know, doing what you said by edict, but I need to know something. You're going to kill me if, if it's not good news. And if I do tell you what to do, are you going to do it? I think those are pretty good stipulations uh, for, for, for getting the answer you want from the God. Because Jeremiah was fearful of his own safety. <clears throat> he wanted to be sure that Zedekiah would deal with him faithfully regardless of what his answer would be. Do you all see the courage here? Can you imagine you've been summoned to the court of the king and you decide that you've got enough gumption option from God that you say, hold it, king. I know you're the king, but there's a king higher than you. And before I tell you what I have to tell you, let's have some negotiations. Boy, that's a lot of courage. I'm so encouraged that when you go before people who don't like you, you know they don't like you. You know they don't care about you. But God allows you to have the kind of wisdom that you can work out a deal that's favorable to you before you start telling them stuff. Don't you love God? This, he's negotiating for his life. Remember, this is sort of like <clears throat> the negotiation Pontius Pilate tried to have with Jesus and said, are, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus said, you said that. And Pilate said, I don't know what you're talking about. Jesus, I come here to testify of the truth. And then Pilate says, what is truth? Because I want to tell y'all something. You've learned this recently that it's, a, it's an amazing thing when a lie predominates over the truth. It, it's as old as the Bible. People try to lie when the truth is there. They try to lie to show that God said something he didn't say. They, they come up with a big lie, but, it's, but God's truth is always going to be true. Oh, my God. Uh, Jeremiah says, says, says I just, just, just let me know, king, what we're talking about here. He says, listen, he said, king. I know you have you have my, my my life in your hands, but I gotta ask you this because I think I think Jeremiah must have had you know sort of a bone crusher spirit came on him and he started to think I ain't never scared. I ain't never scared. I'm gonna say what I need to say, but I wanna ask you, King, what are you going to do with what I tell you? The prophet wanted the king to be straight with him and admit that he wouldn't kill him if he told the king the truth. It's quite possible that Jeremiah was thinking about what happened to Uriah who prophesied against Jerusalem and was hunted down and killed by a former king named Jehoiakim 
back in Jeremiah 26. Zedekiah was just as evil as Jehoiakim. So Jeremiah had plenty to worry about. Then Jeremiah said, if I give you counsel, are you going to hearken unto me? <clears throat> Many scholars understand Jeremiah's words to be more of a statement than a question. <clears throat> Spoken with hopelessness, as in, quote, even if I do give you counsel, you won't listen to me. If this is the case, let's break this down in two parts. If it's a question, if this is the case, Jeremiah knew the king's character, so his response indicates he didn't think Zedekiah would listen to him no matter what he said. However, if we understand Jeremiah's words to be a question, as it appears here, no doubt the prophet was hopeful that the king would be willing to hear counsel and receive instruction. People of God, listen. Don't ever abandon what God tells you to say and do because you're worried about the character of the person you're dealing with. You say what God says say. You do what God says do and let God work it out. Jeremiah is an example here that at, at the point of death, just like Jesus was willing to talk to Pilate man to man, face to face, having been up all night, having been beaten and blooded, Jesus was still willing to say, but I've got to tell you what God says. You can do what you want to me, to me. You, 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 can, you, you, you can kill the flesh, but you can't kill the spirit. I've got to say what God told me to say. So in verse 16 of our first part of this, about this private meeting, uh, Zedekiah then swore an oath. He says to him, uh, as the Lord liveth that made this sword, I won't put you to death. I won't give you to the hand of these men to seek your life. He told Jeremiah he wouldn't do it. He, he swore an oath. He said, as the Lord liveth, he confirms his promise that I won't do it to you, Jeremiah. In addition to the king not ordering him killed, the king said, and I'm not going to turn you over to those who want to kill you. I'm not going to try to be slick and not do it myself and then tell everybody else they can have their way with you. I'm not going to do that, Jeremiah. I'm going to make sure that I'm going to show you some favor despite the fact that you may tell me what I don't want to hear. But any favor he may have thought he was showing to Jeremiah was nothing compared to how Nebuchadnezzar and Belshazzar, two Babylonian kings, dealt with Daniel when he prophesied their doom. In Daniel's case, these kings not only protected him, they promoted him and rewarded him. But Zedekiah's oath was solemn in that he swore as the Lord did it who made us this soul. Here the word soul means life. By swearing before the Lord, the one who gave him and Jeremiah life, the king no doubt believed that he, if he dared take the prophet's life unjustly, the Lord of life would take his. Listen to me, people of God. I'm putting this on everything I love. On everything I love. Listen, people are afraid of you because you are anointed. People at your work job, people at your place of employment, people, your, your, your colleagues who aren't saved, people who you think are plotting against you. Listen, they are afraid of you because you are anointed. They know the hand of God is on you. Some people in this country and other countries are afraid of, of certain people because they know God has delivered them before and will deliver them again. That's why they do all these little ugly things, plot these little schemes, put out these little dig these little ditches because they know that God is for us. 
who can be against us? <laughs> you can do what you want to do. You can talk about me as much as you please. The more you talk, I'm going to bend my knee. That's what we, we learn from, from our foreparents. And that's why people worry about us. I'd be worried too. God's hand is on, on me. God's hand is on people that I'm trying to hurt. You better be careful. Let's go to, let's see what happens next. This is a rather long uh, uh, a part of this. Uh, I'm gonna talk, we talked about the private meeting. Now I'm going to talk about the private message. That's in Jeremiah chapter 8, 38, verses 17 through 23. Allow me to read all those verses together, and then we'll come back and unpack them, starting at 17. We're talking about a private message from the Lord. Then said Jeremiah unto Zedekiah, Thus saith the Lord, the God of hosts, the God of Israel, if thou wilt assuredly go forth unto the king of Babylon's princes, then thy soul shall live, and the city shall not be burned with fire. And thou shalt live and thine house. But if thou wilt not go forth to the king of Babylon's princes, then shalt this city be given into the hand of the Chaldeans, and they shall burn it with fire, and thou shalt not escape out of their hand. And Zedekiah the king said unto Jeremiah, I am afraid of the Jews that are fallen to the Chaldeans, lest they deliver me into their hand and they mock me. But Jeremiah said, they shall not deliver thee. Obey, I beseech thee, the voice of the Lord, which I speak unto thee, so it shall be well unto thee, and thy soul shall live. But if thou refuse to go forth, this is the word the Lord has showed me. And behold, all the women that are left in the king of Judah's house shall be brought forth to the king, shall be brought forth to the king of Babylon's princes, and these women shall say, thy friends have set on thee and have prevailed against thee, Thy feet are sunk in the mire, and they are turned away back. So they shall bring out all the wives and all the children of the Chaldeans, and thou shalt not escape out of their hand, but shalt be taken by the hand of the king of Babylon, and thou shalt cause this city to be burned with fire. Jeremiah says unto to, to Zedekiah, hey man, uh, I got some reservations about trusting you, but... I'm going to go ahead and tell you what God said. I got to speak truth to power, just like Isaiah did, just like Jesus did. I, I got to give it to you, bro. I, I got to give it to you. I, I got to keep it 100 because I've been called by God to do it. So I'm going to tell you what God said. He said, Jeremiah, Jeremiah said, listen, <clears throat> Zedekiah, this is what the Lord said. I'm he said, I'm talking to the Lord, about the Lord now, the Lord God of hosts, the God of Israel. He said, this is almighty God, other God, the host of, uh, who is a, host of angelic armies, and is the God of Israel. He wanted to remind Zedekiah of the covenant God had with his people. And I remind you this morning that God has a covenant with you. Then Jeremiah continued to give Zedekiah God's message. He says, all you have to do, boy, this is what God wants you to do. I want you to go out and surrender to the Babylonians. That must have hit Zedekiah in his solar, solar, solar plexus. I need, you need to surrender, boy. Your only hope for victory is to surrender. You need to do like Robert E. Lee did at Appomattox after the South had been beaten and decimated. They didn't win. No matter how you try to change it, you need to go out, bow your knee, submit to the Babylonians. If he did that, Jeremiah says, you won't die and the city won't be burned and your household will live. This was the same advice that Jeremiah had given to the people on two other occasions. God's point was this. Everybody has to submit to my divine judgment. Don't even think about opposing my judgment. 
When I say a thing, it's going to come to pass. It's a big thing, y'all, to tell a king you need to go surrender. But God knows what he's doing because God knows that if you follow his directive, even if it seems, unto, seems to you not to be in your best interest at the time, if you know God is speaking it, you still do it. He says in verse 18, he says, so go out, man. He says, God, God's telling, he said, if you, if you just go out and do what he says, you'll be spared. Your household will be spared. The city, this beautiful capital city called Jerusalem will be spared. But, he said, watch the contrast, watch the dichotomy. In verse 18, he said, if you don't do it, see, God never threatens us, he warns us. We always have a choice. Uh, as happened in Deuteronomy 30, when Moses said to them, I, I set before you life and death. I'm going to give you a hint on this multiple choice test. Moses says, choose life. God puts choices before us to test our wisdom and faith. Zedekiah was also given a choice of what action he would take in light of the Babylonian invasion. They're there. It's clear you don't have enough men to beat them. It's clear your strategy isn't working. Why don't you try what God says? It's clear as smart as you are, you're not as smart as you think you are because it's not working, sir. Try Jesus. He's all right. Look, uh, 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 Jeremiah said, look, Jeremiah was trying to remind me. Y'all remember that old show? Let's make a deal. And Jeremiah said, you want to go get what's behind door number one or you want to get what's behind door number two? He said, but let me just give you a hint. I can tell you what's behind both doors. The choice ought to be easy. I'm telling you what's behind door number one is life. What's behind door number two is death. You choose whichever one you want to choose. He said, I'm, I'm telling you this because you have to understand when God warns you now and you go wrong, you can't get mad at God when it doesn't work out the way you think it will. You got two choices. Obey God and surrender to the king of Babylon. Save all of us. Or don't do it. You're going to die. Or the city's going to get burned and your household's going to get destroyed. Not going to die. Now watch this. Jeremiah prophesied that the city of Jerusalem would be given to the Chaldeans. Now, we've been talking about Babylonians. The Chaldeans would burn it down, and Zedekiah would not escape. Uh, this was not the first time that the nation had been warned about the destruction that their disobedience would cause. For years, God had prophets and warned them, and they failed to listen. Don't get confused when you see the word Chaldeans. That's just another name for the dominant population in ancient Babylonia, Prior to the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, Babylon, the name Chaldeans became synonymous with the term Babylonian. If you remember your Bible history, Abraham lived in the Ur of the Chaldees or Ur of the Chaldeans before the Chaldeans became the people of Babylon. So it's just a, just nomenclature, but we're talking about the same people, okay? Now watch this. <clears throat> the, the king uh, does, you, you remember in 19... The, the king uh, was a little concerned, and I want to want you to watch how how shallow this rascal is. How shallow this is. Zedekiah said to Jeremiah, <clears throat> uh, the, "My problem is I'm not afraid of the Babylonians. I'm afraid of the Jews that have fallen to the Babylonians." This is interesting. The king was not afraid of the Chaldeans, but of his own people, who were now captives in Babylon, and he said that the reason. He was afraid of the Jews who were now in Babylon was because, watch this, y'all, the Chaldeans might deliver me into their hand and they mocked me. 
In other words, this shallow rascal was afraid that people would turn on him and make fun of him. Does that sound familiar? This king couldn't stand for people to make fun of him. This king couldn't stand for people to mock him. This king thought he was so big, bad, and boastful that he couldn't stand for people to snicker when he made a mistake. He was worried about that rather than the, the nation he was serving. Good Lord, have mercy. There's nothing new under the sun. He had mistreated God's people, and now he was afraid that God's people might mistreat him. Zedekiah was so caught up in his pride that he wasn't even worried about being killed by the Chaldeans. We must be very careful how we treat people because the tables can be turned so quickly on us. The apostle Paul was correct when he said, be not deceived. God is not mocked for whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he reap. Even Zedekiah, hadn't reaped what he sowed at this point, he was still scared to death that he might. He was so puffed up in pride that he was worried that they might flip the script. Jeremiah, Zedekiah forgot the basic principle you learned when you were in the second grade. Sticks and stones might break my bones, but words would never help hurt me. He was so puffed up in pride, and you know right in the middle of pride is I, and you know that pride goes before the fall, and a hearty spirit before destruction. This pride, this hearty spirit, this, this spirit of superiority is going to have taken some people down throughout the history. Uh, we've seen it up close and personal. I'm telling you, this pride is a dangerous, dangerous quality. I'm not talking about confidence. I'm talking about pride, where you put yourself on the throne and God becomes your servant instead of the other way around. It's true that weak people can't bear to be laughed at especially in front of other people. It's true. You better be glad you didn't grow up in my family because the wares would pick at you and laugh at you and mock you, not because they were trying to hurt your feelings. They were trying to get you tough, trying to toughen us up so that when we got into the world, just because somebody hurt your feelings, just because somebody steps on your little toe, ooh -hoo, boo -hoo, the wares wanted you to know you better get tough. You better get some, 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 some iron in your spine. You better be able to look at these people in the eye and, you, and when they laugh at you, you laugh right back. You better quit letting people intimidate you. You better quit letting people because you think they're going to pick at you because of your hair or your skin or your your teeth or anything else, you better learn that you are a child of God and God has ordained you and anointed you and brought you out and God is your helper and your very present help. You better stand up and get your back straight, your shoulders back and look them in the eye and tell them I'm the God's child. Laugh at me all you want to. Watch how God blesses me. Jeremiah says, listen man, in verse 30, in verse 20, they're not going to deliver you. If, 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 you, if you listen to the voice of the Lord, he says, the, the, the child then won't hand you over to you to the Jews. That, that's, and that's what he feared the most. He said, but if, 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 if you just do what God says, God will protect you. He said, he said, I'm telling you, man, do what God said. Trust God. Do what God says, even if people laugh at you. Laugh at how we shout. Laugh at how we have church. Laugh at how we pray. Laugh at how we praise. I don't care. I'm still going to do it because God told me to make a joyful noise. Let's wrap this up. He said, if you don't do it, if you don't go out and surrender, uh, what's going to happen is even the women in this house are going to laugh at you. He said, let me appeal to your manhood. You're living here like Hugh Hefner, boy. 
You got wives, plural, and concubines. But if you don't do what God says, God's going to deliver you into the hands of the Babylonians, the Chaldeans, and even the women in the house are going to laugh at you. And you already a misogynistic uh, a male ch a chauvinist pig. And you know they gonna, you want the women to laugh at you? He said, th th then Jeremiah said, here's what they're they going to say. He said, thy feet are sunk in the mire and they turn away back. In other words, Zedekiah was stuck in the mire. I know you thought your grandmother made this up. She said, the Lord delivered me from the muck and miry clay of sin. No, this, this, is, this is a Bible phrase. Your grandma was smarter than you think anyway. Being stuck in the muck and mire, Jeremiah was referring back to where he was, where he was buried up to his neck in mud and muck and mire. That is a pre, I'm sorry, that is a, 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 an analogy or metaphor for being stuck in sin. When you're stuck in the muck and mire of sin, up to your neck in sin, we call it being up to your neck in trouble. Jeremiah says, somebody's got to deliver you like Obadiah did from Ethiopia, him, pull you out of the muck and mire and deliver you to a solid ground. So your grandmama didn't make that work. They said the muck and miry clay. Okay, they didn't know exactly, but it's muck and mire, but you now you get it. And your grandma was smarter than you thought she was. He says, if you don't do what's right, you're going to be humiliated. Not only are you going to lose, you're going to be, you're going to be humiliated. Uh, Y'all seen this play out not long ago. You, you get humiliated. Uh, and, 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 and when you are so puffed up in your own pride that you can't see your own way past your own reflection in the mirror, you're going to get humiliated. And it's going to be hard for you to come back. You might go crazy just a little bit. Now watch this. He says, uh, he says, so, 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 so he says, they, they, they're going to bring out verse 23, all thy wives and thy children, and, and none of them are going to escape. You're going to hurt yourself and your family if you don't straighten up, sir. It's just a warning. Now let's go to the, to, 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 to break this down a little bit further. Watch this. <clears throat> I'm, I'm going to read this 23 one last time slowly and then let's break it down and then we're done. So they shall bring out all thy wives and thy children to the Chaldeans and thou shalt not escape out of their hand, but thou shalt be taken by the hand of the king of Babylon and thou shalt cause this city to be burned with fire. Jeremiah continued to describe what was going to happen once the Chaldeans or the Babylonians finally invade the city if this boy wouldn't go out and just surrender. He said they... He's talking about the Babylonian army. They're going to bring out your wives and children and your concubines, and they're going to take them all back to Babylon. But concerning you, King Zedekiah, the prophet said, you, won't, you shall not escape out of their hand, but you're going to become a servant to the king of Babylon. He says you're going to suffer the worst kind of humiliation. If you don't do what God says, you're going to have to serve the king of of Babylon, who is your sworn enemy. Let's say this and then we're done. People of God, please remember two things. One, God is always going to get recompense for you when your enemies mistreat you. You don't have to fight this battle. Stand still and let God fight your battle. Number two, God is always going to provide a way of escape for you, no matter what powerful people try to do to you. And number three and finally, God will bring you out of any pit 
because there is a word in your belly that's like fire shut up in your bone. There's a testimony for your family members. There's a testimony for your children. There's a testimony for your friends. There's a testimony for your coworkers. God's got something he wants you to say. And because of that, you can't escape it. You've got to do it, which is why you have to. Everybody you think God has abandoned, you got to go back to and tell them you can come out of that pit. You can be pulled up like I was. You can you can know who the real God of heaven is and he will save and he will deliver you every time. It's happened to me. It's happened to you. God will never abandon us. No matter what our enemies are doing, you are still anointed. You are still loved. God is still on the throne. His word still works for you. I tell you now by the power of what God has told us in his word today that you can speak what God says and watch it come to pass. Be blessed all week long, my brothers and my sisters. Good morning again, my brothers, my sisters, our friends, relatives, those at home and abroad, those in the military, listen to us on a military basis. We have one person who listens to us all the way in Guam. Woo, thank God for Jesus. But we thank God that you're with us this morning. We have a unique lesson, a great lesson. You're going to really love it. And you're going to learn something, hope that you can share. Our, the title of our lesson from the commentary is Preaching to Exiles. And in some commentaries, you have the commentary, A Street Preacher talking about the great prophet Ezekiel. What a blessed week we've had. How do you know it's been a blessed week, Elderware? Well, because we started last Sunday, and now we're here this Sunday. That's a blessing. You woke up this morning, and, and those of us who are blessed enough know you woke up seeing with your own eyes, hearing with your own ears, speaking with your own voice. That and those things are blessings. Let's pray. Ask for God's guidance, presence as we study the word, and then we'll get right into the book of Ezekiel chapter number 18. Spirit of the living God, we thank you this morning for your grace, your mercy, your peace, for your loving kindness and your care. The Bible tells us that we don't know what we should pray for as we should. So we ask you, Holy Spirit, pray with, through, and for us. Take our petitions to the very throne room of God. No, to God himself. Interpret our petitions so that what we say is what we need to say. Thank you, Holy Spirit. We thank you now, God, for your many manifold and abundant blessings, the blessings of life, the blessings of peace. God, we thank you. We thank you, Father God, that our health is as well with us as it is. Yes, some of us have some health challenges. Yes, some of us are waiting for our healing. Yes, some of us are praying for healing of that of our family and others. Yes, some of us are in recovery mode, but you are still God and we rely on you as the great physician. Thank you, Jesus. Heal now our family members who are in distress. Physically, financially, and spiritually. Heal them, God. Send our children home to us who've gone astray with their minds, bodies, and spirits intact. Do that for us, God. God, bless our country, our government. You told us in your word that the hand of the king is in the the heart of the king is in the hand of the Lord. Move, God, in a mighty way so that our government is responsive to our needs. Oh, do it right now, God. 
God eliminate all division, all malice and manner of evil that permeates the government system. And God allow us to live in harmony with our brothers and sisters. Thank you, Jesus. God, now we pray personal blessing, God, on our, our bishop, William L. Shields, who's, who's celebrating now, God, 41 years of ministry. Thank you, Father. Oh, my God, thank you, Lord, for loaning him to us. Thank you, God, for allowing him to teach and preach in such a passionate, consistent way. Thank you, Father. We love you, God, because of the man you've placed in our charge, in, in, place, in, in whose charge you placed us. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father, now for every auxiliary in our church. Thank you for every church everywhere throughout the world spreading the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. Oh, God, we love you today. We need you today. We bless your name today because you are God. Now, God bless us, some of us who need a financial miracle. Some of us just need financial a blessing just to sustain us, God. Bless God, those who are in bereavement right now. God, comfort them as only you can because you are the great consolator. Now, God, bless those who are feeling like they're disconnected because we know, God, we love them. Let them feel our love, but more than that, let them feel the love of God. Put those big arms around them, God, and pull them close. Let them know that they're your child. You'll never leave them nor forsake them. Bless them right now. God, restore unto us the joy of our salvation. God, let us choose every day to be joyful. Choose every day to find something good in the day. We love you this morning. We praise your name. Now, God, bless us as we study your word. Your word is already blessed, but bless us as we study it. Let us eat until we are full. Feed us till we want no more. It is in Jesus' precious name that we pray. And all the people on this call and connected to this call said amen. Man, amen, and amen. I'm ready. Hope you are. I know you've had a blessed week. <clears throat> what a great week. And we're celebrating with our bishop. Uh, had a chance to go by the church briefly yesterday. Saw the parade. Great parade. And just, a, just an honor to be in this ministry and connected to each of you. The book of Ezekiel. Ezekiel is a great, great prophet. And what I want to tell you, even as we start Ezekiel, is that Ezekiel was born and raised to go into the priestly ministry. In other words, he was to be a priest to serve at the temple, to serve at the uh, place of worship, certain um, ceremonial duties. A priest. But then at about age 25, he was snatched away. And we'll talk about that in a minute. And, and then he began a different career as a prophet. Now, here's what I want you to understand about that whole transition. There are those of you who've been at what you've been at a long time, your work, your vocation, your avocation. And you believe that's the end all and be all. And it may be. But what I want you to understand today is what you learn from Ezekiel is be sensitive to doing what God wants you to do. I'm not telling you to quit your job. God knows I'm not telling you that because I don't have enough room over here for you to move in with me and all that stuff you got. No, no, no. But what I'm telling you is be sensitive that God can do a new work. Moses started his second career 
at age 80. Yeah, 40 years he was a shepherd. <laughs> and then at age 80, God called him to deliver his people. I'm just saying to you today, be sensitive that there's more out there for you than what you might see in your finite mind. So be open to what God leads you to do. Don't jump in there. I'm not trying to get you to get, go somewhere and get into a pyramid scheme. I'm not like trying to get you to start selling insurance or selling gas or anything. I'm just telling you, Ezekiel teaches us to be sensitive because God can, you all have such special talents and special abilities, you don't even know what God can do to, to use you. And by the way, you are so steeped in the word, you've got so much word in you that it's not even funny. Think about it. When you get a chance later on today in your personal time, just, just do some quick math. Uh, 50, you've heard at least 50 sermons a year for your life, and probably more than that if you go into Bible study on Wednesday night. Add that up. Multiply that out and see how many sermons you've heard. All that word is still in you. Anything you've heard, you've always heard. You're, you're like a computer. You might not believe it, but you, believe it, but you can bring up almost anything you've ever heard. All that's in you, and God wants to use you in a mighty way. It might not be in the little field you're thinking about. That's just food for thought. That's free. I'm not going to charge you for that. Now, this prophet came from, not only was he a priest, but he came from a priestly family. His whole family had been preached. His name means God strengthens. And this, this, this Ezekiel uh, did something those of us who are in the ministry love, and that when Ezekiel would preach, uh, uh, Pastor Love, uh, Ezekiel would use metaphors, examples, and sometimes he would act it out himself. Uh, he used a, a clay tablet to demonstrate something. He used his posture to demonstrate something. He used bread to demonstrate something. He used shaving to demonstrate something. He used packing up his belongings to demonstrate. He used trembling. He used a sharpened sword, a smelting furnace, the, 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 uh, two sticks. He, he was always looking for a way to get the people to hear and understand what he was saying. Because here's what happens to people who study the word of God as, as routine. Your ears get dull and you don't get excited anymore about the word. It just becomes routine. It's like watching a family feud over and over and over again. You enjoy it, but you're not the family. You don't act like they act because you're not getting a, a car. Uh, and, 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 and by the way, somebody call Steve Harvey and tell him to quit saying uh, the family can win, they self a new car. Tell them don't say that the word is themselves. Anyway, uh, but, but what I'm saying is you get so you get so caught up in the routine of it that you don't feel the passion because you've been at it a long time. Ah, but 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 this Ezekiel was a passionate, passionate teacher, preacher man, called by God to a second career, leave the comfort of the church, the serving at the altar, Ezekiel and become a prophet. Now, Ezekiel, as a prophet, I'm going to tell you, it's not as sweet and smooth as it is being a priest. Because when you show up in the office of the prophet, the prophet always has two things in his hand. He's got a life sentence and a death sentence. That's what the prophet has, the office of prophet. The office of prophet is not what, what you might think it is. It's not when these people come from out of town trying to raise money and they call themselves a prophet boo-boo, a prophet ho-ho, a prophet JJ, and, and tell you they can predict the future. That's not Bible prophecy, the office of prophet. Not what you're talking about. Pro this, this man as a prophet had to give a message to the people that came from God. He was, he was born and raised 
down in the southern kingdom of Judah and was a priest in the temple when the Babylonians attacked it a second time in 1597 BC. This book of Ezekiel is the 26th book. And as I told you before, there are all these precious prophecies and parallels in Ezekiel. Uh, 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 you, you, the most famous sermon preached by Ezekiel was the sermon concerning the dry bones in the valley. Every preacher wants to preach that. Can these bones live? Y'all remember dry bones in the valley. Y'all remember they, this is one of the few sermons that made its way into popular culture as a song. The song, dim bone, dim bone, dim, dry bone, dim bone, dim bone, dim, dry bones, oh, hear the word of the Lord. That foot bone connected to the ankle bone. And y'all know how it goes. Became a song. And, and we as children learned the construct of the body from the song, not knowing it was biblically based, but it was. So Ezekiel now is doing the work of God. Ezekiel is doing what he's supposed to do. And then God changes his venue. God doesn't consult him. God doesn't ask him. God doesn't sit down with him and go over the pluses and minuses. God just says, I got to work for you, but it's not going to be here where you're comfortable. And Ezekiel gets, gets taken away hostage now. He didn't go voluntarily. He is a hostage taken from Israel to Iraq, which we call Babylon. And, and, and that's where Ezekiel, whenever you, you, you read the word about Ezekiel, Ezekiel marks his time in ministry by the time when he was taken away to Babylon. Some of us remember the day, I'm not going to say that we got saved because we didn't necessarily get saved, but the day we joined the church. For me, August 26, 1966, got baptized in an outside pool in the country. The water was cold and dirty and nasty, but it was a fantastic event. Never will forget it. August 26, 1966. But he marked it because he knew there was a life change, a shift change in what he was doing for God. The nation of Israel was on the brink of complete destruction. And because of that, there were three deportations and three invasions by Babylon. The first was in 605 BC. Jeremiah was a prophet. The second was in 597 when Ezekiel was taken away, as I told you. And the third was in 586 BC. Uh, and you read about that in Jeremiah 52, verses 29 and 30 where then the Babylonians came in, the Iraqis came in and completely destroyed Jerusalem, burned the temple, and took all the rest of the people away except for a few. Think about that now. That's the situation you're in. Your homeland has been snatched from you, or you've been snatched from it. You don't know where your people are. You don't, you don't have a text. You don't have a phone call. You, don't, you can't go on Facebook. You can't go on IG. You can't DM them. They're gone. And you're gone. And in the midst of that, God calls you to ministry. God wants you to do a work for him and a work for the people in the midst of that situation. We always think everything ought to be easy and smooth, no disruption. Just God just, just oh, lay it out for me. Lord, I want to be on a flowery bed of ease. Not the case. Sometimes in the midst of your worst struggle is when God's going to call you to a work. I don't, I'm not trying to get you to go into the ministry in terms of preaching. But I'm telling you that things that God wants you to do for the kingdom, even if it's in your own family, but sometimes that's going to come right in the middle of what you think is a horrible, horrible time and situation. That's a reason, there's a reason why a lot of people get, quote, saved at funerals. 
because all the families together, the pressure is on and people have to focus now on the Lord. But what I'm telling you this morning is that God can call you in the midst of chaos. Yeah, 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 yeah. He can call you in the midst of chaos. It like, seems like the, your life's out of control. Nothing you're playing is work. And God said, that's just how I wanted it. Now you and I can have a conversation. They took this boy away. And then about five years later, God called him to be a prophet. And he gave his first prophecy to the exiles. Now think about this, y'all, in your mind. You are in a situation where everybody is separate from their homeland. Everybody's been moved. They have no connection to their family, their friends, their relatives, unless they just happen to see them in the street over there in Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar's going crazy. He's lost his mind. He's running around doing crazy things. And then you decide you want to preach to those people. Can I tell you, they're probably not going to be a very receptive audience. But that was his job. And that was what he did. Here's what, here's what he was doing. In his first message, the prophet <clears throat> told the people that the punishment they were experiencing was because of their sins and that God was purifying his people. However, the people in Judah believed that they were being punished for the sins of their ancestors, not their own. Oh my God. They thought this way because of how they interpreted the law in Exodus 20 and 5. Ezekiel's message was designed to correct that way of thinking. Y'all, may I tell you, you've got to at some point in your life get rid of stinking thinking. As a man thinketh, so is he. <clears throat> you, you've got to understand that you've got to get your mind right. You've got to get your mind right in order to process this information that's coming to you from all directions 24-7. There is no time when you're asleep or awake when there's not some news on, some sports on, <clears throat> some shows on. <clears throat> there's always stuff going on, but you've got to think about what you're thinking about. These people were thinking, oh, I get it. I'm broke because of what my daddy did. Oh, I'm crazy because my grandmama was crazy. Oh, I'm, I'm doing all this stuff <clears throat> because my uncles did it. My aunties all dipping snuff. No, Ezekiel said, let's deal with that. Before we deal with what God is going to do for and with us, Ezekiel said, we first got to get our minds right and stop blaming other people for our own stuff. So let's start. That's where we start. Ezekiel chapter 18, <clears throat> verse number one. The word of the Lord came unto me saying, what mean ye that ye use this proverb concerning the land of Israel saying, <clears throat> the fathers have eaten sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge. Ezekiel says, let me tell you something. I know y'all want to hear this. I know we're in exile. <clears throat> I know you want to go home. You long to go home, but I got to preach this to you. And Ezekiel says, basically, hear the word of the Lord. Here's what the Lord, Yahweh, came to me saying. Now, Ezekiel said, don't blame the messenger. Those of you uh, uh, guys like me who like the movie 300, they killed the messenger and knocked him in a pit. I thought that was a cool scene. But Ezekiel said, don't shoot the messenger. I'm just here telling you what God said. And he says, God says to me, you need to tell these people some things. And Ezekiel said, the word of the Lord came to me again. This is not his trial sermon, not his initial sermon. He says, God talks to me all the time. 
I can't tell you everything God says because everything God says to me is not necessarily for you. You with me? But I got to tell you what's going to be good for you if you listen. But know what I'm saying is not my opinion. It's what God told me to say. God told me to tell you all this because it has, it has, it has made you think a certain way. And the way you're thinking is disruptive to your progress and you don't know it. So he says, let's focus on the reason, uh, uh, so, sort of the plumb line for why you're thinking like you're thinking. So this is the message he begins with. Here's how he begins his message in verse 2 of chapter 18 of Ezekiel. What mean ye that ye use this proverb concerning the land of Israel, saying, the fathers have eaten sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge? Watch this. In other words, the Lord was asking the people, why do you use this proverb? Why do you say <clears throat> that you are not responsible for your own actions and you base it on an old proverb? Y'all know how this word about your teeth being set on edge. When I was growing up in the country, they had this fruit called a persimmon. If you bite a persimmon, my mother said, it turned your mouth inside out. <laughs> Literally, it will set your teeth on edge if you, if you bite a persimmon. It's almost like biting a lemon. Uh, you, you will pucker whether you want to or not. It just happens because the acidic value of, of lemon, when it, when it, when it meets uh, saliva, it produces a, a, a chemical compound that basically is a, a, a breakdown compound. And that's why it feels like you, you, you're about to choke sometimes ah, because it's really tart. A persimmon is like that. If you bite it, your mouth almost goes into a, a state of shock, but it's good. So the children said, well, but we didn't eat the grape elderware. We didn't, we didn't eat the persimmon. Uh, we didn't eat the lemon. Uh, we, didn't, we didn't do that. Our parents did, but we're the ones whose mouth feels funny. Our parents did it, and because of what our parents did, we are paying the penalty for something that our parents did. We are not responsible for our own actions. We are just doing what we do because of our fathers. Here's what they, they, they misunderstood. They misunderstood the law where God portrayed himself as a jealous God. Here's what God said. For I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children until the third and fourth generation of them that hate me. But this statement, people of God, meant that the children, as well as the parents, would continue to do things that made it appear that they hated God and therefore suffer for their own sins. You can see that in Deuteronomy 7, 9 and 10 when you get a minute. The Jews also may have been thinking about the prophecies stating that the nation of Judah would be removed from Palestine because of Manasseh's sins. If this is true, they misunderstood what the prophets were saying regarding Manasseh and regarding the proverb. God calls all of us to accountability. These people were trying to erase their own history. Does that sound familiar to you in this modern day? They're trying to pretend the stuff they did didn't happen. I didn't, I didn't do that. What, me? 
How did you know that was me when I had on a mask? No, it was you. Oh, yeah, I know you. I, I know how you look. I know how you sound. It was you. Uh, 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 they, 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 they misunderstood. The people admitted that their, quote, fathers had sinned, but complained that although they themselves were innocent, they had to bear the ancestors' punishment. Oh, my God. But in reality, y'all, in reality, they had added to their, quote, father's idolatries. Like many people today, the Jews refused to take responsibility for their own actions. Note this now. Note, note, note. With this type of thinking, the people then concluded, if I'm being punished for something my daddy did that I didn't do, they said, oh, this means that God is not treating me fairly. And God's response was, here, here now, O house of Israel, is not my way equal? Are not your ways unequal? This is God in Ezekiel 18, 25. God is a just God, y'all. And whether things appear to be fair or not, he's always doing what is right and good. It appears from scripture that the people of Judah often repeated unbiblical ideas. Yeah, they were blaming themselves. I'm sorry, they were blaming their, or pretending to blame their ancestors for stuff they did. This thing permeated into culture that we all lived. Those of you who know growing up, at least it happened to me, when you go to call on a young girl uh, and you be in the, set, in, in the parlor sitting on the settee, and the mama, the mama or the grandmama would say to you, say, boy, who are your folks? Who is your daddy? Where y'all go to church? Who is your pastor? They were sizing you up, knowing nothing about you, but because of your family dynamic, because of your family's name and reputation, they were going to tell the girl, as soon as you left, don't fool with that boy. His dad is a drunk. Don't fool with that boy. His, his mama ain't no good. Don't fool with that boy. His daddy is a rabble riser, a fighter, a brawler, a shot caller. He, he, he gambles, throws dice. He's a bootlegger. Yeah, they, 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 because of what your daddy did, or your mother did, or your great-grandmama did that, that they happened to know during their day, they, uh, they sized you up and you missed out on some great opportunities for some great fellowship with some people because your parents and grandparents said because of who their family is, don't fool with them. They are visiting the sins of the father on the child. The father ate grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge. God said, that's a foolish concept. You know better. You are accountable for your own sins. My grandma used to say, every tub's got to sit on its own bottom. You don't pretend that what I did or what your grandmother did, anybody else did, is why you act like you do. You act like you do because you act like you do. That's a good thing, though, because you're going to see in a minute why it's a good thing. Now, now, now let's continue the sermon, Ezekiel. Ezekiel says in verse 3, As I live, saith the Lord God, ye shall not have occasion anymore to use this proverb in Israel. That's it. It's over. Quit using that. Quit saying that it's your parents and, and grandparents and great-grandparents, but the blame game originated in the Garden of Israel, Eden when Adam, when God asked Adam, who did this? What caused you to sin? What caused you to hide from me? Adam blamed the wife. The wife blamed the devil. And God said, all y'all get out. You have to take responsibility for your own actions. God refused to accept that plea and he won't accept that plea from you. 
He will accept the plea of not guilty by reason of insanity. I didn't know any better. I was crazy. I messed up God. Forgive me. He'll accept that plea. The plea he won't accept is, he won't accept what I call the Flip Wilson Geraldine plea. The devil made me do it. Woo! He won't accept that while you're in the booth in the corner in the back in the dark. He said, no, that was you. You can't, you can't get by. Adam didn't get by. You got cast out of the garden. You can't get by. But I want you to watch the grace of God. When you do admit it's your sin, when you do admit it's what, what happened was, was your own fault, God is faithful and just to forgive and bring you back in. There is no way you can out-sin God's love. Now watch this. He says, we're not doing this anymore. We're not going to go back and forth. That's it. God swore by himself. He said, as I live, God took the witness stand and put his hand up. He didn't have to put his hand on the Bible because he was the Bible. He took the witness stand and God says, as I live, saith the Lord, you will no more have occasion to use this proverb in Israel. And, and you know, we're modern day Israel. We're the church. Quit, quit blaming your parents and foreparents for stuff you do. If you're involved in hoodoo, voodoo, and boo-boo, that, listen, that's because you did that. That ain't because your parents were into hoodoo, voodoo. You made a decision. You made a choice. You drink liquor because you like it, not because your father used to drink it. No, sir. No, ma'am. No, how. No, ma'am. Can't work. Will not work. Then God, in verse 4, goes on to explain. He says, behold, all souls are mine. As the soul of the Father, so also the soul of the Son is mine. The soul that sinneth, it shall die. Not some other soul, it. The Lord used the word behold to get the people's attention. The phrase all souls are mine implies several things. First, it implies that God owns everything he created. He breathed into man the breath of life, making him a living soul, Genesis 2-7. Therefore, everyone who breathes belongs to him. But this does not mean that everybody belongs to God spiritually, but I want to free you today. Are you ready to get free? I'm taking the shackles off your feet so you can dance. You are responsible for you. You are not victim to anything your parents did. Get free. Take off running. Yeah, you're done with that. Quit talking about generational curses. Quit accepting that nonsense. That because what somebody did way back in the way back is how you are. No, you can, even if, even if there's something in your DNA, you can change. Even if there's something in your environment, you can change. You know why you change? The blood of Jesus cleanses from all sin. Now watch, let's go a little further. But I'm a free, you're free today. You're free today. You don't have to ever think about that anymore. I can't do any better because of what my grandmama did and my mama and them and all them dipping snuff. No, you're free. Each person to get free must go through Jesus Christ. Yeah, you go through Jesus. He cleanses you, washes you, changes you. Here's how you know, because we're, we're, the word of God says that if any man or woman be in Christ, they're what? A new creature. Behold, all things are passed away. Watch this, y'all. Behold, all things become new yeah, you can get out of that family, not physically, not legally, but you can get out of that family and come into the family of God and start over. Oh my God, all souls are mine. God says, I got you. He doesn't respect one generation or another, one class, one nation, one race, one gender above another. Nobody is, 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 is outside of the bounds of God's justice. 
He keeps every human being under his judicial control, but so there would be no misunderstanding, God stated that as the soul of the Father, so also the soul of the Son is mine. Every individual soul or person belongs to God, including every father and every son, every mother, every daughter. The main thought here is that every individual soul or person must give a personal account of his activities to the one that owns us. Believers will one day stand before Jesus and give account of their own life, not the life of somebody else. There's no tag team. I used to love wrestling. That's with an R. Because when I just thought, when I thought Roddy Roddy Piper or, or, or the American Dream or Mr. Charisma or, or I thought Ric Flair, I thought they were about to be counted out. Somebody would slap their hand and they would come in and then they would beat up the assassins. Oh, but God said, no, 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 no. You don't have to, you don't have to do, do that. You don't, you don't have to wait for somebody to, 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 come, to come in and, and flip you over. I'm, I'm, I'm the one. When you give your life to Jesus Christ, you're different. I'm different, yeah, I'm different. I'm different, yeah, I'm different. Why? Because I have bec I've come to know through Jesus Christ that I have a Savior who cleanses and washes me from my sin. And once I get that straight, I can go forward. The soul here does not refer to the disembodied or non-material entity. The Hebrew word here refers to the entire person. The Lord was declaring that the person who sins will die this death according to the text, no doubt refers to physical death reserved for transgressors of the law. However, scripture also teaches us, people of God, that sin brings spiritual death as well. It is true that one's generation's sins often have an effect on the following generations. However, it is also true that God can deliver you from that. Jesus destroys generational curses on the cross. John 8, 36 declare, if the son sets you free, good God almighty, you will be free indeed. You're free. Give us us free. I'm going to stop. Yeah, you're free. Jesus set me free. Even when I go around y'all crazy people at the family reunion and people say, boy, you look just like your dad. Boy, you act just like your mom. But, yeah, yeah, I'm, maybe, <clears throat> but I'm free. I'm my, I, the, the, the good parts of them, I want it. I love it. But if there's anything in there that's not like God, I've got, got to move on. i got to go. i got to grab my hat. If the sun sets you free, you are free. God then sets up a, 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 an example of a righteous man <clears throat> in Ezekiel 18, 5 through 9. He says, but if a man be drunk and do that which is lawful and right and hath not eaten upon the mountains, neither hath lifted up his eyes to the idols of the house of Israel, neither hath defiled his neighbor's wife, nor hath come near to a mistress woman, and hath not oppressed any, but hath restored to the debtor his or his pledge, hath spoiled none of by violence, hath given his bread to the hungry, and hath covered the naked with a garment. He that hath not given forth upon usury, neither hath taken any increase, that hath withdrawn his hand from iniquity, hath executed the true judgment between man, man and man, hath walked in my statutes and have kept my judgments to deal truly. He is just. He shall surely live, saith the Lord. That was a long sentence. One sentence, those verses, five through nine is one sentence. That's why I had to read it like that. But God says, listen, God said, listen, uh, when, when you do what's right, no, he said, nobody stands before me absolutely perfect, but you stand before me spiritually mature and you dealt with your sin. How did I deal with my sin, God? I can't forgive myself. That's right, by the blood of Jesus. 
Yeah. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. He says, if, if you do what's right, you do what's lawful, you do the best you can, you do it every time you can. He says, when you stand before me, it's all going to be good. I didn't say you never sinned, but your desire is to do right, and you don't blame your missteps on somebody else. And in verse 6 says, you, you have to avoid any kind of defilement. You have, have eaten upon the mouth. This means that this man didn't participate, this righteous man, this example God's given, in the observance of pagan festivals at shrines on the hills. And he didn't have idols. An idol is anything that takes the place of God. Probably refers to the fact that these 10 northern tribes and their idols caused their downfall, the northern tribe. The northern kingdom began its existence under a cloud of apostasy, as Jeroboam one introduced the worship of golden calves into the church. By the time of the Assyrian captivity, pagan worship was more prominent than regular worship. Judah, where Ezekiel was, the southern kingdom, also began to be affected by the culture. And these idols seeped into the, in God's house. But God said, listen, we're, you don't have to do that. You're not going to defile your neighbor's wife. You're not going to defile your own wife. You're not going to do anything that brings disrespect and disrepute to the house of God or to the people of God. You're not going to do that. Why? Because you've been saved. You've been changed. You've recognized the gift that I gave you when I gave you my very name. I made a covenant with you and you're different. Look at verse, verses 7 and 8. It talks about the ungodly man. <laughs> I'm sorry. It talks more about the just and godly man. You've not oppressed anybody. Uh, you you want to know why certain people in banking business do well? Because under the old covenant, <clears throat> a creditor was allowed to receive from the debtor a pledge that he would repay the debt. But, but he couldn't take any interest. He could only charge interest to people who were outside of the culture. Does that make sense to you now? You see why the banking business works like it does? People loan money to those they're in covenant with at a certain percentage and procedure, and to other people they paid another percentage. You, it's called an APR. You worry about your credit score. You know why you worry about your credit score? Because certain people get their money cheaper than you get yours if your credit is not up to par. Yeah, I said credit with a K. If you got bad credit, yeah, then you pay more for the same thing that your neighbor just bought. It cost him $16,000. You end up paying $29,000. Same item. Why? Because of your credit. Then God says, but the other problem is some people then take advantage of the fact that you have bad credit because they don't have any ethics and they charge you usury. In other words, they charge you much more than they ought to charge you and they, and they do that because they can. And God says, don't worry, they're not going to get away with that. I got them too. I'm looking at them too because God says, I consider that basically like they're afflicting injury on people because they know you can't do any better and they extract from you more than they should, not because they can't to make a profit, but because they want to make more than a profit. God says, if you're not a man like that, I honor people who are good with, with that. God likes the fact that if you're in a position to help, that you help without expectation. 
If you're in the business of loaning money, that's one thing. But listen, let me tell you something. It'll, it'll help a lot of family reunions if you will just give people what you can afford and don't say pay me back in a month because they're not. You're way better off with your cousin Ray Ray if you just give him the $25 and forget about it. Because if you think that rascal's going to pay you back, you are smoking. Listen, just give it to him and move on. God says in verse 9, he says, I'm going to honor godly men and women. God's kept, kept judgments, uh, 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 he kept his judgments and laws available to deal with them. He said, he is, if he's just, he shall surely live, saith the Lord. Now, I, now, now I, 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 don't, I don't do good because I'm saved. I mean, I don't, do, I don't do good because it makes me saved. I'm saved, so I do good. I'm not trying to do anything as a work-based religion. I'm just trying to do the best I can because I'm a changed person. I want God's favor. Now, what you got to see in your personal time in Bible study that we don't have time to go over today, read verses 10 through 29 that's not in the printed text because you will see something that always incredibly blows me over and blows my mind. It's called the mercy of God. And you'll see that coming up in our lesson. But leading up to that, uh, God declared that if the just or righteous man committed all the sins that his father had not committed, the son is still responsible for his own sins and has to pay the penalty. Then in verses 14 through 17, the Lord said that if, if that son had a son, who watched his father commit the sins, but he didn't commit them, he wouldn't be responsible. Again, God is breaking down slowly this notion of generational, I can't get away from curses. Didn't say that what your family people did didn't have an effect on you. Of course it does. Of course, if your family dynamic was all jacked up, of course it's going to have an effect on you. Of course. All of us come from dysfunctional families. Show me a functional one. All of us got somebody somewhere involved. Don't act like your, your family's perfect or somebody else. No, no, no. We all have some, some hidden secrets, some things going on. But God is saying, yeah, but you can be free from that. It doesn't have to affect your life. It, it doesn't have to keep you bound. You still can live a life fulfilled and happy and blessed. You can cut that stuff off. Stuff off. When you get down, because God says, I don't take any pleasure in the wicked doing wrong. You'll see that uh, in verses 24 to 29. He says, I'm, I'm, I'm going to, to, to bless people who want to be blessed. Now, last thing and we're done. Look at verse 30, verses 30 through 31 of Ezekiel chapter number 18. Therefore, I will judge you, O house of Israel, everyone according to his ways, saith the Lord. Repent! And turn yourselves from all your transgressions, so iniquity shall not be your ruin. Cast away from you all your transgressions, whereby ye have transgressed, and make you a new heart and a new spirit. For why will ye die, O house of Israel? Why would you die when you can live? You are not responsible. I don't know why I keep hammering on this, but it's because it's what the was in the lesson, and somebody needs to hear it, you are not responsible for your parents' lifestyle or their sin. Here's another one. You are also not responsible, hear me well, for your children's sins. You are not responsible for the sins of your parents, and you are not responsible for the sins of your children. It is a burden we carry. It is a load that's heavy. 
but being prayerful for them and wishing them the best is not the same as being responsible for it. <clears throat> Cast away from you all your transgressions, whereby you have transgressed, and make you a new heart and a new spirit. God says, let's do some spring cleaning. <clears throat> right here in May, almost June, let's do some spring cleaning. God says, take inventory. Whatever you've done or been doing that you said because you couldn't help yourself because of what your cousin and all of them did, God said, cast that away. Come unto me, all you that labor are heaven laden, and I will give you rest. Take, your, take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I'm meek and lowly. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. The old people used to sing a song like this. They used to say, sing, what a friend we have in Jesus. <clears throat> all our sins and griefs to bear. <clears throat> what a privilege it is to carry everything to God in prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Listen to this part. Oh, what needless pain we bear, all because we will not carry everything to God in prayer. God is not interested in punishing you. God is interested in loving you. God is not interested in making you look bad. God is interested in restoring to you everything the enemy has taken, even if that, that stuff the enemy taken came through parents and grandparents. The grace of God is available today to each and every one of you to go to you and in your heart, change your heart, change your mind, change your spirit, and give you a freedom like you've never felt. You are free in Jesus. You are free indeed. Go enjoy your freedom. Go enjoy your peace. Go enjoy your joy. Be blessed. You are blessed and highly favored, saith the Lord. Be blessed. Thank you.